Um, so it sounds like there's going to be a monumental thunderstorm uh, quite soon. I can sort of see it just there. Um, I'm under an umbrella. I don't know how it's still standing, but we'll see how long this lasts. Um, a topic of a lot of discussion is the Anglo-Saxon pre-Christian religion. Uh, and this comes from an earlier Germanic religious tradition, which comes from an earlier Indo-European religious tradition that also gave rise to the Old Norse uh, pre-Christian religion and to the Roman and Greek religions and also to the Vedic religion. Um, but the, the Anglo-Saxon religion is a very badly attested one. Um, we know the names of some of the gods but we really, we really don't know much about it and a lot of people just take... So when people ask uh, where days of the week come from you'll often hear people just saying for example Wednesday comes from Odin's day and Thursday comes from Thor's day, just transposing the old Norse names onto um, what are actually Anglo-Saxon concepts, Wardness Day and Thunris Day, um, which I, I don't really like it because there's at least a thousand years of continuous oral tradition separating the two. Um, and the fact that we don't know much about the Anglo-Saxon religion doesn't really mean we can just shove old Norse concepts onto it and, and that's that. Um, I think the reason a lot of people do it is because religion is a very, very, you know, big part of something. And to have to have a, a society as well attested as the Anglo-Saxons and to not know anything, well, to not know very much about their native religion, it just, it, it's uncomfortable. Um, but unfortunately, it's just one of those things we know uncomfortably little about, um, which is okay. It's just a bit annoying. Um, so what do we know about the Anglo-Saxon religion? Well, we know the names of a few of the gods. We know Warden, we know Thunor, we know Tiu, and we know Frie. Um, and there are some uh, less certain ones like Elstre, Freda, and Saxnart um, that we know very, very little about. We don't even know whether they're actually gods or whether they're just mythical figures. Um, a lot of these, well, four of these names we get from Days of the Week, um, which, which you can see quite nice equivalents of in other Germanic languages. Um, and we also use a lot of place name evidence. So there are a lot of places, you know, a lot of forest clearings and things named after these old Anglo-Saxon gods. Um, but what direct attestation do we actually have um, describing what these gods were like and what they did? One of the only written references to Woden um, is in the Nine Herbs Charm, which is a sort of um, it's a, a recipe for an antidote to poison. Uh, Salvid uses an antidote to poison. Um, and it says, and you want to turn closed caption subtitles on for this, it says, Thayanam warden neon a wuldotanos, sloch sartan adron, fatal neon toflach, Thaya under the apple and otter, fatal navrene wulden husbulgan. This doesn't really tell us any more about Woden than what it literally says in the text. So we could take any number of things from it, but they could all very easily be wrong, you know. Even little details about the, the fact that the old Norse Odin has um, one eye or that he has two ravens that sit on his shoulders and whisper things in his ears. We, we have no way of, of, of saying that these were true of Woden as well. Um, it's, it's almost certain that a lot of details can be... Um, a lot of details from the Old Norse religion do also apply in the Anglo-Saxon religion, but it's also almost certain that a lot of them don't, and we just don't know which ones do and which ones don't. So it's 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 um, not 
responsible, it's irresponsible to to assume things things apply to both when we just don't know. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of place names in England contain the word grim, which sounds a lot like the Old Norse word Grimnir, which is a a a nickname for Odin and another name for Odin uh, that he uses when he's in disguise on Earth. Um, so it could be that the the Anglo-Saxon Woden um, travelled the world in disguise and interacted with people. But again, that's an extrapolation. It's 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 sort of risky to make extrapolations like that. Um, Thor, who is um, the Old Norse equivalent of Thunor, is associated with lightning and thunder and the word thunor in old english actually became the word thunder in modern english so it doesn't seem ridiculous to suggest thunor might have had some something to do with thunder as well um but you know so you get tantalizing glimpses of who the gods might have been and what they might have been like but there's nothing that couldn't be interpreted you know in a hundred different ways um you can for a bit of fun, you can actually reconstruct uh, what we call reflexes of the gods' names from Old Norse. So you can take an Old Norse name, apply the sound changes we know happened between Old Norse and Proto-Germanic and Old English, and, and create what the word would be in Old English if there was a cognate. So I've got some written down here. You know, Heimdallr in Old Norse would become something like Farmdal in Old English. Loki in Old Norse would become something like Luka in Old English. Ullr would become uh, Wullr, which is actually a word in Old English. Um, but without finding these written anywhere, we, we, we can't, we really can't know, and we cannot, we cannot say, you know, any, anything here with any certainty. Um, I think my own suspicion is that the, the Anglo-Saxon religion was probably only sort of skeletally similar to the Old Norse religion. Um, my, my, I suspect it was only sort of skeletally similar to the Old Norse religion, so the, the basic um, story arc, if you, if you want, might be the same. Uh, but the details might be very different and the tone of the whole thing might be very different. So dead people might go to somewhere called Walhall uh, or Hel and uh, at the end of the world there might be this event called um, Reynaraku or something like that. But, you know, apart from that, you know, we don't even know Reynaraku, Ragnarok was a concept in, in, in Old English. We just... <laughs> irritating. An interesting... I suppose extension of the subject is the, the sort of the worldview the Anglo-Saxons had that there were spirits and things living beyond their sight in their homes and in the environment, things like that, elves and uh, necks, nikor, things like that. Um, and again, this is very scarcely written about, you know, people don't really go into details about these beliefs, probably because they're very domestic things that everybody sort of already knows about, so there's no point writing about them because in the same way there's no, no point explaining how to use a spoon, it's just, it's, it's obvious to everyone that, that lives in that society, you know. Um, but I think there are modern, there are a lot of connections between folklore in 
rural Germanic areas over the last 200, well, Germanic language speaking areas over the last 200 or so years that I think might be a continuation of an earlier tradition. Um, so you have things like the Scandinavian uh, Nessa or Tomte, uh, which are little men that sort of live around the homestead doing things for you, um, you know, doing little tasks. Um, and these are very similar to stories of hobs and dobbies in um, uh, northern English folklore and Scottish folklore um, and brownies who, who are supposed to do tasks around the house and then they become offended if you leave them an item of clothing um, and they run away and it's, it's, it's where I, I assume J.K. Rowling got the idea of Dobby the house elf from um, and when they run away they might uh, say a little, um, a little verse so in Cumbrian, uh, sort of English-Scottish border dialect that I, I've studied a little bit, one of the verses was Gibruni quote, Gibruni sark, is getni mere bruni wark, which is very similar to what you find in German folklore too. So I'm, I'm sure we've all, we're all va vaguely aware of the story of the elves and the shoemaker. When the shoemaker left them clothes, they said, Sind wir nicht knaben glatt und fein, was son wir länger schuster sein? Um, and they never came back. And I don't think it's any coincidence that you find these stories throughout Germanic cultures. Um, and while the word Alve might have meant something different to the Anglo-Saxons, I think they must have had um, some equivalent, some ancestral idea um, to, to what we find in modern stories in, in, in German and Norwegian and Swedish and English-speaking areas. So what about Ettins, Eltenas? which you'll often see translated as giants. Now, Jackson Crawford has done a very good video in which he explains about how bad a choice of translation the word giant is, because nowhere in Norse mythology does it say Jotnar are particularly big compared to anything else. Um, uh, in in Anglo-Saxon mythology, it's pretty much the same story. In Beowulf, there's uh, a reference to Grendel and his mother, who are described as Eltonus, being um, Michel, now, Michel, it, it, it sort of means big, large, great, significant, but it, it, it would be, I think it's, it's taking the most extreme possible translation to say it means giant, you know, we're not necessarily imagining this enormous thing. Um, it could mean that they're well built, it could mean that they're about the height of a very large person. It could, it could just mean that they're sort of imposing. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean this is an enormous, towering uh, being. And there is another word um, for giant, which is gigantas, uh, giants, that's plural, which is used in Beowulf in a list that also has eltenas in it, which suggests they were thought of as two separate things. Um, so I, I don't think it's necessarily good idea to translate Eltonas as giant any more than it is to translate the Old Norse Jotnar as giants. Um, something plains. Beowulf describes Etins, Eltonas, as living in sort of uninhabitable places, paths which you can only fit one person on, and um, you know, moorlands and fells and things like that. And I think that's a that's a decent analogy to a more recent Northern English um, tradition of boggarts, which, which live in pretty much the same places, and they're just, 
there are various different descriptions of them, but they're basically seen as scary, quite large, you know, creatures um, that, that cause mischief and aren't, aren't very nice. Um, so it could be that Etins are an earlier version of um, Boggarts. It could be that it's an, an, an ancestral form. Um, because these, the names of these things change a lot, which is why you have the, the Nissa and the Tomter and, you know, Dobbies and Hobbs and Piskies in, uh, in the West Country, you know. Um, the, the names don't necessarily stay consistent, which is why I think Elf might not necessarily have meant the same thing in Old English. Even if they did have the same concept, they might not have described it using the word Alf. Alf might have meant something else. Um, I'm probably going to have to do another one of these black screen things where I, where I write it out in clearer terms because I've just sort of not rehearsed this video very well. Um, but I hope that gives you a bit of an insight into Anglo-Saxon mythology and religion as we understand it, which we don't really. Um, that's my, my, my brief assessment of it. So if you'd like anything clarified, um, please feel free to comment or message me privately or anything like that. Um, and thank you very much for watching, and I'm glad the thunderstorm didn't hit. It seems to have run away now, so that's good.